Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Relentless Sermon Series, which walks through the book of Judges and sees how God is constantly pursuing His people. We hope this episode will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Hey, Amen. Let's take our Bibles today and let's open them up to Judges chapter number 6 this morning. Judges 6 and... And it's good to be in the Lord's house, and I'm looking forward to uh, really our message this morning and what God's going to do in that. And uh, I will say, and I'll add this, uh, I'm thankful, thankful for my dad and the, uh, the spirit he has. And I was telling somebody, I don't know a lot of people, uh, and I'm, I just, I know he's my dad, but I don't know a lot of people that are, you know, hey, I have six months to a year to live, but, you know, it's all right. Like, we'll just keep moving forward. I don't know a lot of people like that, and I just praise the Lord for his spirit, and I'm not going to look at him because then I'll cry, uh, but I just want, want to encourage you to be praying for him and praying for everything there, and we're asking the Lord just to work a miracle. Well, last week, we, uh, we didn't get through the message. Some of you were excited about that, you know, that we cut short, but we're going to go this week and title this week, A Closer Look, Part 2. And uh, last week, we really opened up just kind of talking about uh, kids and any of us that have ever worked with kids. I, I use the illustration, the thought, anytime I ever pull the phone out, any screen that ever comes out in front of children, what do they have to do? They've got to get closer to it. They've got to get closer to it. How many of you have ever worked with a microscope? Anybody ever work with a microscope? How many of you like working with microscopes? All right. I, I, don't, I don't know why. You'd see things that you don't want to see, you know. But I remember working with microscopes. And, uh, you know, if you went through like a biology class, I remember that they take, you know, a, a little uh, template and or a little piece of paper or something. And you, I don't know all the technical terms. Craig knows all of them. Uh, and you, you put a little dab of, of, you know, they put milk on there or put some sort of saliva on there or uh, put blood on there or something. And then they slide it underneath that microscope. And man, what does it do? It just begins to look and you begin to see things that you wouldn't normally see. You begin to see some things that uh, you can't see, they say, with the naked eye. You can't see without that microscope. Well, what are you doing? You're just getting, we're just getting a closer look. I mean, really, we're seeing, we, I mean, naturally, with, the, with that naked eye, we can see what's there. We can see the blood. We can see that saliva. You can see that food, that piece, that leaf, or that bug, or whatever it is. You can see that, but when you get a closer look, you actually see what's really there, what's really going on. We're continuing this series in the book of Judges. Of course, the series title is Relentless, talking about the pursuing grace of God and our key verse for the entire book. I love it. And if, if you highlight or write in your Bible, I would underline the, the first word of the verse, Judges 2.16. Judges 2.16. The very first word is the word nevertheless. Man, Nevertheless. Some people like to go and they say, oh, you know, the book of Judges, boy, God was just all over his people and he was just trying to, you know, give them that, give them the paddle, so to speak. God was bringing out the belt and, you know, he's really getting after them. Man, the truth be told, the book of Judges isn't about God's judgment. The book of Judges, all of the judges are God's grace. Is God in love and mercy pursuing his people. And the reason we call it relentless is because he didn't stop. There's always a nevertheless. Aren't you thankful today that God doesn't give up on you? Man, I'm so blessed and thankful this morning to know that I serve a God that doesn't say, well, Dennis, I've given you enough chances. That's it. Man, I'm thankful I serve a God that says, I love you and I want you to experience a fulfilled life. 
I want you to experience a blessed life. I want you to find fulfillment in a relationship with me. You see, listen, that's what the entire word of God is about. The entire word of God is about relationship with God the Father. That's what the word's about. It's God saying to mankind, I love you and I want a relationship with you. Well, the book of Judges is the same, specifically with the people of Israel. You'll recall, those of you that have been here in our series, we won't take long to do this, but the book of Judges, the people of Israel, they have what we've titled a cyclical relationship. They follow God, don't follow God, follow God, don't follow God, just kind of going in this circle. And remember, God had promised them a land through Abraham. He brought them into this land. But the children of Israel, they began making their own choices. And they would say, well, we know what God desires for us. We know he wants relationship with us. We know God wants us to find fulfillment in him, but we're going to choose what we want. And so they would choose what they wanted. And because of that, God would allow natural consequences of their sin to take place. But then also God would allow the enemies of God to oppress the people of God, or at times even enslave the people of God. When God brought the children of Israel into that land of promise or promised land, he had asked them to accomplish two things. One, drive out or destroy any of the enemies of God that were in the land. Two, teach me, teach God to the next generation. Well, what we discovered a number of weeks ago, I believe uh, the first message, which I think this is message seven, and so what we discovered the first week is that the people of God, they gave God what we call partial obedience. You remember that? They went into the land and they said, we'll drive out these guys, but not these guys. We'll destroy these guys, but not these. And you read Judges chapter number one, and what do you find? You find a bunch of ites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Amorites, Amalekites, Parasites. We, we got all that. You find the Ites and the Philistines. That's what you find. <clears throat> they gave God that partial obedience. They didn't drive them out. The second thing to accomplish in the land was teach this, me, to the next generation. Well, Judges 2.12 and 2.14 tells us that there arose up a generation that knew not God and there arose up a people that forgot God or forsook God. So because of that, God allows them to go into slavery or become oppressed. Well, the people of God, I mean, they had their moments where they rebelled against God, but that cyclical part of it is where they'd come back to him. And they'd come back and they'd say, God, we're oppressed. Would you save us again? The first time they did this, Judges chapter three, the people are being ruled by the king of Mesopotamia. And you'll recall that his name was Cushan Rishathayim. Remember that? And we've talked about it, saying it five times fast. And Kushan Rishathayim. And some of you are already doing it in your head. It's okay. Do it later. And try it out loud. Kushan Rishathayim. Kushan Rishathayim. Kushan. Just try that out loud. It's really fun. It's a fun exercise. But Kushan Rishathayim, the king of Mesopotamia, came. He was oppressing the children of Israel. They cried out to God. God sent Othniel, the mighty warrior. Othniel came in. And the Bible says he delivered the people of God. The second group of people, they were ruled, the children of Israel, they were ruled by a fat king. The Bible calls him the fat king. His name was Eglon, king of the Moabites. Remember him? 
Eglon, king of the Moabites. And there was a man who came and uh, remember he had that sharp dagger attached to his right thigh because he was left-handed. His name was Ehud. The people cried out to God, hey God, you see the Moabites, they're oppressing us. Would you deliver us? And God sent Ehud and Ehud came in as uh, that man that kind of seen as a cripple because of being left hand. Some even think that his right hand didn't even work perhaps. And he comes in and he delivers the people of God. The third judge we looked at, his name was Shamgar. Remember Shamgar and the ox goat or Shamgar and his pointy stick? An unlikely person, right? This was somebody that you would look at and say, no, he's not going to do anything for God. I mean, and all he has, he's a farmer, he's a peasant, his dad's an idol worshiper. All he has is, a, is an ox goat. All he's got is a pointy stick, and yet he gave God what was in his hand. And he too, Judges 3.31, he delivered God from the Philistines. The fourth judge, it was actually three judges kind of lumped up together. Daniel preached a great message on talking about those unexpected people and unlikely people and how God used Deborah and Barak and, and uh, 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 J.L. to deliver from the hand of Sisera. Remember, we talked about the song Judges 5 and even tried to sing it a little bit. And listen, we went home that day from lunch. We went home and we tried to come up with all the songs we could. I came up with a rap for it. It didn't work very well, but I came up with it. And we, we were doing that at lunch, having a good time. And uh, can you imagine her singing? I mean, this is uh, Deborah singing about JL. Just go read it. And it's kind of repetitive. There's like one verse in there. It's like he fell down dead, and then he died, and he fell down dead, and he fell down. And it, it'd make a great chorus. You should write something. We learned that week that God used the faith of Deborah to motivate Barak and JL to say, we will serve God. Well, last week we came in and we've had this thought that as we've been going through and looking at the judges of God, last week we stopped and we're taking time with the story of Gideon. We'll discover more about who Gideon is in just a moment. But what we're doing this time is instead of looking at the judges of God, we're taking time to get a closer look at the God of the judges. Because in these stories, we can we can see God working clearly. And in the story of Gideon, we can see that God had his hand and God was using something. And so we've been discovering some characteristics about God. And so I want you to take your Bible, if you will, and we're going to finish our little study of, of Gideon. And let's stand together and go to Judges chapter number six. And we'll be with Gideon this week and then one more week next week. Listen, I want you to be here next week. We're going to see what what happens when victory becomes defeat next week. And it's a very helpful lesson for each one of us. But today, getting into this, Judges chapter 6 and verse number 11, we'll just read two verses. It says, There came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which is in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Ebezerite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress. And, uh, excuse me, to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. We meet this man, Gideon. Gideon would be considered the, the fifth judge of, with the nation of Israel, the fifth time that they've been oppressed and this fifth time that they would cry out to God and God would give them a deliverer. As we go through this today, we're going to, again, just take some time to not, not just discover who Gideon is, but I want us today to look past Gideon. I want us today to take the microscope. I want us to put it up to the story of Gideon, and what we're going to see is 
we're going to see a wonderful God working behind the scenes. A wonderful God doing some things to teach us about himself. And so this morning, before we get any further, let's just take some time and commit it to the Lord with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let's pray. Once again, let's just ask God to speak to us. Right where you're seated or right where you're standing, why don't you just take a moment and just pray something simple of, God, I give you this time. Please speak to my heart. God, I give you this time. Please speak to my heart. And then would you just make a commitment that as God speaks to you, that you're going to listen to him today. Dear Lord, we come before you again. We thank you for the word of God. We pray that you'd speak to us, that you'd help us, that you'd encourage, challenge. Lord, if there's someone here, they don't know that heaven is where they would spend eternity. I pray that today would be the day that they come to know you as their personal savior. Father, for every believer in here, God, would you help us today to understand that you have a message and a lesson for us about you and who you are. God, I pray that you'd speak to each heart. Challenge us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. We mentioned all the judges. We mentioned Othniel. We mentioned Ehud and Shamgar and Deborah and Barak and Jael. And, uh, and now we come to this judge of Gideon. If you were to go and do some research, just some things about Gideon, the Bible tells us that he's found in Ophrah. Uh, that place of Ophrah would actually be in the Valley of Jezreel. It's kind of right where that little uh, dot is, and you can see that on there. Uh, there in the nation of Israel, really kind of right in the center of the nation of Israel is where we would find Gideon. The Bible tells us that the, the Lord comes to him. Now, why did the Lord come to him? Well, the Lord came to him because the people of Israel, they were being oppressed by the Midianites, oppressed by the Midianites. If you were to go and you were to read Judges chapter six, verse six A, just the first part of it, the Bible tells us the oppression was great. Look back, if you will, you're in Judges six, go back to verse number six, it says this, and Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. Well, here's what happened. The Midianites had come in. They had oppressed the people of God to the place that the people of God, as we find Gideon in just a moment, they're scared to even grow their own crops or work their own fields. Why? Because verses three through five tell us that the Midianites had come in. They were destroying crops, destroying land, taking the harvest. They were just being wicked and cruel with the people of God. That's why when you read verse 11, the angel comes to Gideon. Where is he at? He's threshing wheat, but he's not doing it on the threshing floor. He's doing it in the wine press. He's doing it in secret. He's trying to hide this. Why? They're, they're greatly impoverished. Well, because of that, the people of God, they call out to him. They call out to God. Go look with me at verse number 10, or excuse me, verse number uh, uh, seven. It says, and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet. The prophet comes and the prophet speaks to them, verse eight through 10, and he says, hey, the reason this keeps happening is because you keep, you keep walking away from the Lord. You keep, you keep abandoning your relationship with God. But I want you to notice what God does. God doesn't say, so you've done this too much, you're on your own. No, we read verse 11. Verse 11, he comes to Gideon. And verse 12, he says, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. I'm gonna use you. I'm gonna work through you. Gideon, he was the tribe of Manasseh. 
His dad was Joash, the Abiezerite that you read about. And Gideon, he was probably one of the lowest in the, uh, of course, the tribe of Manasseh, one of the uh, smallest tribes, the tribe of Manasseh, one of the tribes maybe looked down upon. And, and Gideon and his family, one of those men that would be looked down upon. And yet here God is calling him the mighty man of valor. Last week we discovered that God wasn't seeing what was, he instead was seeing what could be. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't just look at you and say, well, here's what you are right now. He looks at you and I and he says, here's what you could be. Here's what I want to do in your life. Here's how I want to work with you. I could take you like a Shamgar, a nobody, and accomplish something great for me. I can take you, Gideon, the least of your family, the least of the tribes, the least in your father's house, and I can use you to accomplish something great. Man, I'm glad God doesn't see what is. He sees what can be. And that's what we see God with Gideon doing. But as we go through this story, what we've learned so far is we've taken that closer look at God and we've seen a few things about God. I'll rehearse them very quickly. Last week, we saw that we have an eager God. We serve an eager God. Well, how do we see that? Because here's the children of Israel oppressed by the Midianites. They cry out to God. And you know what God says? I'm here. I'm here. The psalmist said it this way. He is ready and willing you know what God is doing? God is eager to help you. He is eager to work in your life. He is eager to come and fight for you. He is eager to work on your behalf. He's eager to use you to serve him. We have an eager God that says, listen, I want to work. I'm just kind of waiting on you. And I don't know about you, but uh, I think if I were God, I probably would have kind of ignored Israel a little bit. You know, I kind of said, well, you guys cry out for a few more years. Here they are, they'd been in slavery for seven years. It had taken them seven years to call out to the Lord. And yet God, he responds immediately. Man, what's that show us? It shows us we serve an eager God. Man, listen, in your life, don't be like the one man I ate lunch with a number of years ago. A number of years ago, I had a man with a, uh, with a uh, political official and we were sitting there eating. I said, how can I pray for you? And he said these words. He said, Dennis, you don't need to pray for me. You don't need to bother God with my stuff. There's probably more important. There's probably, there's probably worse. This is what he said. There's probably worse off people to pray for. I can handle my own. That's what he said. Man, I thought, oh, man, what a heartbreak. Here's somebody that says, I've got this. I don't need God and God doesn't care about me. Can I tell you, don't let our culture tell you that. Don't let some false religion tell you that. Don't let some overzealous religious person tell you that. Just understand that God says, I love you and I care for you and I'm eager to work in your life. We serve an eager God. Secondly, we saw that we, we serve an embracing God. <clears throat> Where do we see this? All throughout the conversation between the Lord, the angel of the Lord and Gideon, do you know what God kept saying to Gideon? I'm with you. I'm with you. I will work in you. I will do this. I will accomplish. My presence will go with you. What is that? That was God saying to Gideon, stay close to me. Stay close to me and I'll accomplish some great things through you. And what we just took time to discover last week is not only do we serve an eager God, but we serve an embracing God. We serve a God that says, I want relationship and I wanna draw you close. And what we saw is that closeness with God, man, it provides the ability to hear God better, right? Jesus said, my sheep follow me and they hear my voice and they, they know me. 
Well, how do we know that? How do, how do we know God? Because God is embracing. Man, God's embracing. Aren't you thankful that especially, especially during the hard times, we have a God that says, come close. I know, I know it may not be, a, a, it may not be the way things really are, but I'm like many of you. I love that footprints in the sand poem. You know, it's so old and been around for years, you know, and people put it in, in, in uh, you know, uh, beach shops and stuff like that. And the whole premise of it is just one set of, you know, two sets of feet prints going, and then, then there's just one. And the author's like, well, God, I, I see we're walking together, but there, why did you abandon me? And the saying is, no, my child, it was there I carried you. Man, listen, I understand it's kind of the thought. That's not Bible, but the principle is Bible. Man, the principle is even during the hard times, God says, come here, I've got you. Here's Gideon at a hard time in life, and God comes along and says, I am with you, thou mighty man of valor. My presence will go with you. Man, we serve an embracing God. Well, that's where we stopped last week. We're not stopping there this week. All right, we're going to get going on this. I want you to notice thirdly that we serve an encouraging God. We serve an encouraging God. I love the story of Gideon. (coughs) Excuse me, as as you go through this passage, we see that we serve an encouraging God, specifically in verses 25 through verse number 40. I won't read all of that right now, but let's read verse 25 of Judges 6 down through verse number 33. Here's what we discover. We read this, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, the Lord said to Gideon, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath and cut down the grove that is by it and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Verse 27, then Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. Stop right there. As you go through this story, God first comes and I want us to see that God is an encouraging God because what I see is God encouraging the growth of the faith of Gideon. He's encouraging the growth and the faith of Gideon, kind of encouraging Gideon. Hey, Gideon, I want you to kind of take baby steps. Let's take some small steps. Now, you say, Pastor, why do you, why do you see that there? <clears throat> We're going to discover in a moment that the Amalekites and the Midianites joined together. The Bible says, we read it last week, that they were as multitudes and their camels were as multitudes. And if you were here, you'll remember we talked about that, showing us their wealth as well as their population, just a mighty nation, the Midianites and the Amalekites up against Gideon. But when you come to this part of the story, it says that God comes to Gideon and says, hey, Gideon, uh, your dad, Joash, um, he's got, an, alt- he's got a, a, an altar set up to Baal, and he's got a grove. Now, the word grove there it would be an idol or some shrubbery that would be carved or a tree that would be carved or an actual idol that would be set up right next to the altar. That's what a grove is. So we could use the word idol right there and understand, understand the context. So here's what Gideon, God comes to Gideon. Gideon, I want you to go and I want you to, um, your dad's altar to Baal and the idol right next to it. Uh, Gideon, uh, you need to go and you need to tear it down and set an altar up to the Lord and then sacrifice to me. Now, some in here would be like, well, that's a huge step. 
God was using this as a small step. See, because the Amalekites, God was, listen, God was about to ask Gideon to go and defeat the Amalekites and the Midianites, probably about 100,000 soldiers with 300 men. That's, about, that's what God was about to ask Gideon. That is like cliff jumping faith. You know, like here's this, Gideon, jump off. Uh, Lord, I don't have a parachute. God, I don't have a, I don't have, and that, that's, that's that type of faith. But God wasn't asking him to do that without growing him to that point. And let me tell you this, in your life, listen, with the consistency of scripture, I believe we can back this thought up. God is not going to come and ask you to do some huge, crazy thing until he grows you to that point. Now listen, sometimes the small steps that God does ask us to take to us are huge things. But in the scheme of things, it's not that big. And, and you say, well, pastor, are you trying to, I'm not trying to dumb down faith steps or anything. I'm just simply saying, just like, listen, and we're, we're gonna see all this in just a moment, a little bit more. Just like a child doesn't just become an adult, a Christian in the Lord doesn't just become a grown-up in, in the Lord. We grow by the milk of the word. We grow by those baby steps. So here's God coming to Gideon and says, Gideon, I want you to take I want you to take down your father's idol altar and the, and, and the idol. The Bible tells us that Gideon goes and he does it. He accomplishes it. That's verse uh, 27, um, 28 down to verse number 33. They do it. And it's interesting because they come out and uh, uh, the, the men of the village, they come out and they're like, hey, uh, uh, Joash, we heard that your son, he, uh, he tore down the altar. Why don't you send him out that we can kill him? That's what they say. Look at verse number uh, 30. Verse number 30. Then the men of the city said, bring out thy son that he may die. Hey, we want to kill him. He tore down this false altar, this, or this altar, Joash. We want to kill your son. I love Joash's answer. Verse 31. Verse 31. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst it is yet morning. If he be a God, let him plead for himself because one hath cast down his altar. Uh, I think this is a pretty cool little story and here's why. Here's Gideon, he goes and he tears this thing down and the men come out and they're like, hey, give us your son. We're gonna kill him for tearing down our altar. And Josh is like, are you gonna defend your false God? And he say, well, doesn't it say it was in his father's yard? Yeah idolatry had come so close to home that Joash was probably involved in it. But I believe the faith of Joash or the faith of Gideon allowed Joash to stand up with a little bit of backbone here to say, you know what? He said, if Baal's real, let Baal plead for him. And I like what he said. He said, if any of you plead for Baal, let him be put to death. Kind of turned it back around. Gideon does all of this. Well, why, why did God ask him? Why was Gideon doing this? I believe it's simply this thought that God, again, he was encouraging that growth of faith in Gideon. And if you go and you, you continue reading, you would read verse 34 through 40 and Judges 6, 34 through 40. That's uh, the place many of you have heard of the prayer of Gideon and Gideon's fleece, Gideon's fleece. Well, what happened? Here's, here's what took place. Gideon, he kind of prays to God. He says, God, I, I want to I know this is you for sure. If this is you, uh, the rug that's in the front, my front porch, 
uh, when I wake up in the morning, I want the rug to have dew on it, you know, that morning dew to be wet, and the grass or the yard not to have the dew. So the rug has dew and the yard doesn't have dew. God, could you, could you do that just so I can know it's you? He goes to bed, Gideon wakes up. Sure enough, there's dew on the rug and not dew around. And then, you know what Gideon does? Gideon prays again. But here's what he prays. He says, God, um, I don't want you to get mad at me and I don't want you to be upset with me, but just to make sure this is real and this is you, could I wake up tomorrow and the fleece is dry, the rug is dry, and everything else is wet? Would, would you do that? And I want you to notice, and you can go and read this for yourself, Judges 6, uh, 35 through 40, God doesn't reprimand him. God doesn't say, Gideon, how dare you do this? God answers him, and he wakes up in the next morning, and God does it. Now, some would say, well, pastor, why do you think he was doing that? Because God was encouraging the growth of his faith. We serve an encouraging God, one that says, I want to help you. I want you to grow. I want you to walk with me. You can go to Judges chapter 7, and you find the story of, uh, of um, I'm missing some slides, the story of God and, or Gideon and Phura, uh, the servant. Here's what God did they, with Gideon and Phura. They go down into the, the camp of the Midianites and Amalekites, and God sends them down there to listen to a dream. The dream is really funny. The dream, you know, Gideon goes down there and they're listening to two uh, soldiers from the Midianite, Midianites and Amalekites talk and they're kind of listening in. And the one soldier says, I had this crazy dream. I dreamed that a loaf of bread, a loaf of bread rolled into our camp. This loaf of bread, it rolled into our camp and all of the tents fell down before it and everybody died. The other guy sitting right there, he's like, Psh. Well, that's nothing. That, that's nothing but Gideon. It can mean nothing but that Gideon, God's servant, is going to come in and destroy all of us. That's what your dream means. Okay, that's what Gideon and Phura go in and hear. Why did God send them in to do that? God was encouraging his faith. God was trying to help him understand, Gideon, I'm going to grow you to a point that when I send you in, because Gideon didn't know. He, you and I were like, oh yeah, we, those of us who have been in church, well, we know Gideon's 300 and we know the story. Gideon didn't know that. He was thinking God's going to use me and like another 100,000 people, one-on-one. -on -one. We're going to go in. It's going to be a great thing. No, God was encouraging the growth of his faith. And just let me uh, help you understand that God is patient. He's patient to give us time to grow in our faith. And he encourages the step-by-step development. Every single person, if you know Jesus as your Savior, God encourages you to grow. He did not just expect Gideon to take that giant leap, and he doesn't just expect you to take that giant leap. Sometimes uh, we need to, um, well, no, sometimes we begin to think. We think, well, man, if I get serious about the Lord, and if I, if I, really, if I really move forward in my faith for God, then God's going to ask me to, you know, God's going to send me to Zimbabwe as a missionary, or God's going to do that. No, listen, Sometimes those small steps of faith, it's just simply, hey, I want you to tell your neighbor about me. That's the small step of faith I want. Hey, I want you to be faithful in the word of God. Small step of faith. Hey, I want you to stay faithful to church. Hey, I want you to, uh, want you start tithing. Hey, why don't you start doing that? Hey, this need here, why don't you take this step of faith? Why don't you start serving? Oh, we got the end of the city outreaches. Hey, why don't, 
why don't you, why don't you invite someone to Community Sunday? That's not, a, that's not a giant leap. That's a small step. God encourages that. God wants us to take that. You think about this, all throughout Scripture, we can see that God's desire is that we would simply grow step by step. And God uses and he encourages that growth over the long haul. I think of Ephesians 4.15, it says that we should grow up into him in all things. It doesn't say grow up into him all at once. No, I grow in God step by step. Second Peter, or First Peter 2.2, 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk, sincere milk of the word. Why? That you can grow thereby. Now, <clears throat> I want to add this thought and... It'll resonate with those that maybe have been in church a little bit, but I want to tell you this, that a lot of people, they look at Gideon and the story of the fleece, and sometimes we do that with God. We kind of put God in, okay, God, God, I'll believe this is you if you do this. And, and I've, I've done that. I've prayed, God, if you want me to do this, then you do this. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with praying prayers of confirmation, God, we're praying that if it's your will, you know, if it's your will that I move and take this job, God, I'm praying that if that's the case, that you'll help me find a church around there, that you'll help me find a good church. Okay, that's wise. That type of thing's wise. But sometimes we're like that one boy I was witnessing to one time and talking to him. He said, well, you know what? If God really exists, then I'm going to pray. God, if you exist, move the telephone pole right now. Listen, that type of stuff Gideon's illustration of it, that's not what Gideon was doing. And now we don't work through signs and wonders. Do you know how you have your faith confirmed? The word of God. We have the Bible. You know, should I begin taking this step? If the Bible directs us that way, then the answer is yes. Should I start telling other people about the Lord? If the Bible directs me that way, which it does, then the answer is yes. Should I, and I'm not going to go through with a bunch of examples. We understand that. But I just want you to see that all of it, God uses his word. He uses situations. He uses all of it. Why? To encourage the growth of his people. Man, I'm glad that I serve a God that says, I want you to grow. I want you to be closer to me. Those of you with multiple children, you'll understand this. Isn't it interesting how we sometimes treat the firstborn different than the others? Dennis is here, and uh, he's our firstborn. And you know what? There's, there's times when, and, and hopefully he would be honest, but uh, there's times when I've had to say, and Dennis, you can tell him, but there's times when I've had to go to Dennis, and I've had to say, but hey, listen, I was a little too harsh on you. Dennis, I, I, didn't, give you, I didn't give you time. You know what we do, parents, with our first child? We, like, expect perfection, why? Because we watched everybody else raise their kids, right? And you're like, my kid's never doing that, <laughs> right? Growing up, I was, my, I was my nephews and nieces. I was my sister's, like, biggest critic. I'm like, I never let my kid do that, you know? And we'd been married like a year and a half and maybe just expecting Dennis. And I'm like, when my son grows up, he's never doing what your five-year-old just did, you know? When my son was five, my sister was like, nanny, 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 you know. Man, as parents with that firstborn, you know, we're like, we, we sometimes, be honest, we sometimes don't allow for growth. I'm thankful God doesn't do that with us. I'm thankful God doesn't go, what are you doing? Man, you numbskull, what are you, 
What are you thinking? You're my child. So you should. Hey, don't you know whose name you have? We don't, man, we don't have a God who does that. We have a God who says, train up a child in the way he should go. Why does God say that? Because that's what God does with you. He trains you. He works in you. He doesn't just, man, sometimes we think God's just like, you know, pull out that belt. You're about to, I'm, I'm about to drop you through the goalpost of life. You know, man, I'm going to teach you a lesson. And we see God as this God waiting with a belt. No, listen, we have a God with open arms saying, no, here, no, that's not the right choice. I'm going to allow some correction to come, but I love you. And let's, let's do this direction. Let's go this way. What's God doing? He's encouraging growth. Man, we serve an eager God. We serve an embracing God. We serve an encouraging God. And God encourages us to follow him just simply one step at a time. But lastly, this morning, I want you to see that we also serve an empowering God. We serve an empowering God. I wish we had the time. And when I was talking with Micah, he was like, Pastor, how are you only doing the life of Gideon in three weeks? He said, I taught it with the boys and I did nine weeks, I think. I did nine weeks on it. I wish we could take just so much time and go through this. But I would encourage you, go read the story of Gideon, all right? Gideon, especially go read Judges 7 and 8. Here's what we find. We find that the Bible tells, and I'm gonna summarize all of it. The Bible tells us that Gideon, He's there in that place of Ophrah. And the Bible uh, helps us understand that Mount Morah right there, that the, uh, the Amalekites and the Midianites, that they're stationed, they're, they're kind of in the valley in Mount Morah. So they're kind of in this valley, some believe, or maybe right there, but they're just around Mount Morah. Well, the Bible helps us understand that Gideon, he goes down to the place uh, that's called the Spring of Herod, the Spring of Herod. And so you can look, these are some pictures we got from Israel last year when we went. And, and so the, the, the Midianites and the uh, Amalekites there. This is Mount Mora right there. They're just kind of stationed all around. So all those houses, maybe we'll let those represent the Amalekites and the Midianites. They're there waiting. And, and uh, they're just to the north, just to the north of where Gideon is. Well, the Bible tells us that Gideon, he goes and he takes his men to the spring of Herod. Well, you say, how'd they end up there? Here's what happened. Gideon sent out a call. Hey, we're going to go to war against the Amalekites and the, uh, the, the uh, um, uh, Midianites. And all these people come out. 32,000. 32,000 come out. God goes to Gideon and says, hey, Gideon, uh, that's too many people. Gideon, I want you to say, whoever's scared, they can go home. Commander gets up. He's like, well, these are men. They're fighters. We'll lose 1,000. I can imagine Gideon. We can still take them with 20,000. That's good, you know. Five to one, we'll be all right. Gideon gets up. He's like, all right, God told me to tell you if you're scared, go home. 22,000 leave. So now we go from 32,000 to 10,000. 10 to one. Gideon's probably like, we got this. We got it, man, everybody. All right, everybody's just gonna have to do your share. Everybody's killing 10. Some of you might have to kill 11. There might be over 100,000, but we're good. Everybody can do that. God comes and says, hey, Gideon, you still have too many. Oh, man. I want you to do this. 
once you take everybody down to the natural spring, the spring of Herod. And I had a video, but the video is not going to play on it this morning. But if you go and you look, uh, you can see right in the back of that corner, it's a natural spring right there. Water's just coming up. And many people believe this is the area they went to. And so they go there. And here's what God says. Get in when you get there. Everybody who just dives in, lays down, I mean, they just go, they're thirsty and they just go and dive right in and they're face first, they're there. Send those guys home and keep the guys that kneel down and lap like a dog and, and pick it up to bring it to their mouth. Keep those guys. Gideon's like, fair enough. I'm, you know, not everybody's stupid enough to just, you know, go. I mean, that's not, that's not a defensive position. We're in the military. They'll get that, you know, and they go. 9,700 of them dive right in. I can see Gideon like, maybe the Lord, maybe he messed up that instrument. Maybe. Can I, I'm supposed to keep the ones that go in, right? No, send them home. And then God, look at it. Judges 7 verse 7. Look at the verse. <clears throat> Judges 7, 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, by the 300 men that lapped, will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thy hand and let all the other people go every man into his place. God says, listen, it's by these 300 men that I'm, gonna, I'm going to give you victory. Uh, the reason God came to him and said, hey, there's too many. God said, listen, with 32,000, you're going to think that you guys did it. With 10,000, you're going to think that you're responsible for your victory. But Gideon, it's by 300 that I'll prove to you I am working. Here's what God does. Judges chapter 7, verse 16, all the way through Judges chapter 8 and verse number 21. Judges 7, 16 through 8, 21, you read about the battle. Here's the battle plan. The battle plan is that the soldiers, all 300, would divide up into three companies of 100. Then they would go, they would surround, they would get up in the, the mountain of Mora, that area, and they would kind of get around the Midianites and the Amalekites. Once they got up there, they would all do as Gideon would do. Here's what they took with them. You ready? A pitcher, like that you pour out of, a clay pitcher. A lamp, not a lamp like, you know, that you could fight with, like that has electricity in it that you could snap people, I don't know, you know, I'm thinking of like lamp posts, you know, and you just like use it as a javelin or something. Not one of those, like a hand lamp, a pitcher, a hand lamp, and a trumpet. What are they missing? Yeah, like a sword, a shield, bows and arrows, catapults, javelins, dogs, I don't know, something, cats. Throw the cats down there, you know, and then, how's with their skelly? you were here on Thursday night, we agreed. How many of you like cats? We'll pray for you. <laughs> Just kidding. Here's they are. They got, a, they got a pitcher, a clay pitcher, a trumpet, and a, and, a, and a lamp. And Gideon says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go up there. We're going to blow the trumpets and then break the pitchers that are over the lamps. So you have a pitcher or you have a lamp, you have a pitcher covering it and we're going to blow a trumpet. We go up there, blow the trumpet, break the pitcher, and then everybody yell, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. All right, and then what? <laughs> then we wait. 
Are you sure, Gideon? You didn't, you didn't, go, to, you didn't go to fighting school, did you? You didn't go to military. You weren't at West Point. And yet the people, they get up there and they do it. And here's what the Bible says. Here's what God said through his word. They break the pitcher, the lamp shines, the trumpets are blown, they shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and the Amalekites and the Midianites, they wake up and they start killing each other. All 100,000. It says every man went against, they go against each other. They drew their swords against each other. And the ones who didn't die, you know what they started doing? Running. That's when the 300 picked up their swords and began following. And the Bible tells us from Judges 7, 7, 7, 16 to Judges 8, 21, that God, uh, listen, God allowed 300 men to overcome all of the Midianites, the Amalekites, as well as two other people groups, Succoth and uh, um, uh, Penuel, something like that. I don't know. Let me look at it. Look at it real quick. Verses uh, Succoth and Penuel. That's right. Okay. Succoth and Penuel, these two other enemy groups, verse one, down through, or verse one from chapter eight down through verse number 21, it tells us that they overcome not just these 100,000 Amalekites and the, and the Midianites. Now it's the groups of Succoth and the groups of Penuel and the, the kings of the Midianites and the kings of the Amalekites. All by these 300, they send out word to, the, uh, to other tribes, to Ephraim and stuff. And one of the tribes is like, hey, you went to war and you didn't invite us. And they're like, hey, just join us now and go kill somebody. Like, yeah, we're going to take it up for the enemies of God. We're going to take out the enemies of God. Let's go. You know, and they all just rush and they do this and they get this amazing, amazing victory all led, listen, against probably about 150 to 200,000 people, 300 men. Now, let me ask you, was it those men or was it God? Man, it was God. Do you know what we have? We have an empowering God. Listen, God doesn't ask you to do things without his power. He will never ask you to take faith steps that he is not willing to empower you with, to equip you with. God doesn't, uh, I love, love how one man says it. He, he says it this way, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. He, he doesn't say, I'm gonna use you because you fit, my, you, you fit this, uh, this mold. He says, hey, is there a Shamgar? Hey, is there a Gideon? Hey, where's the Ehuds? Hey, where's the Debras? Where's the Barracks? Where's the JLs? Hey, where's the Othniels, the people, the Shamgars that don't have much, but say, God, what I do have, I'm willing to serve you. And God, I recognize that you are the one who's going to empower me. You are the one that's going to do it. Man, I love that Judges 7, 7, that the Lord saved with just those 300 men, the victory, this whole thing, the victory, it belonged to God. He completely empowered his people to accomplish his purposes. Can I just tell you this morning that God's still doing that? God's still looking to empower his people to accomplish his purposes. It's all him. It's what he does. I love I love how, how, how it was put, and this is a great quote. God does the impossible through the improbable. He works the unfathomable through the most unlikely. He takes paupers and overthrows princes. God empowers his people to accomplish great things for him. And I like that. He takes the impossible and he does the improbable. The unfathomable, the un unthinkable. 
and he works through the most unlikely. He takes paupers, the poor, and overthrows princes. Do you know what we find in our story? We find Gideon, a poor man from the family of Joash, the tribe of Manasseh, threshing wheat on the wine press, overthrowing the kings of the Midianites and the Amalekites of Succoth and of Penuel. Well, how did that happen? God. He's an empowering God. <clears throat> I believe one of the greatest messages through the entire book of Judges is the fact that God does that impossible through the improbable. Listen, God desires to give you the strength and the power to take great steps of faith and do things for him. I think today, as I was studying and finishing things up yesterday, it's only God that empowers a church like Moses Lake Baptist to reach out and have in the auditorium the other day, there was, uh, there was over 200 just in here, not counting the, we had overflow room that people were in, over 200 people in this place, altars filled and souls saved. You say, well, that was because of Pastor Skelly, or that's because we have a great staff, or that's because we have an awesome uh, team of volunteers. No, listen, it's God. It's God that does that. It's God that does into the city outreach with seeing uh, those water bottles passed out last week and uh, 2,700, 2,800 invitations. It's God that helps us as a church say, we're going to attack our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And over four weeks, we hope to get out uh, this many thousands of invitations and this many thousand gospel tracts with the message of Jesus on it. Why? That's God. We want God's help. It's only God that can do that because God, he asks you to step out by faith, but then he doesn't abandon you to do it on your own. He empowers you. I love what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter two and verse number 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That means it's God that helps you make the choice to do it and then actually follow through with it. That's what that verse means. It is God which worketh in you both to will, to choose. I, you know what? I'm going I'm to get up and read the Word of God. I'm, I'm going to be faithful in the Word of God. It's God that helps you choose that. And then in the morning, it's God that helps you roll over and get up and do it. You say, Pastor, it's so hard. I'm with you. How many of you are not a morning person? I am not a morning person. I think morning starts at like 11.59. There's a minute of morning. And then there's afternoon. Wake me up at 12, I'm good. Some of you are like, no, can't amount to nothing if you don't wake up, you know. I say you can't amount to nothing if you can't stay up till three in the morning. That's right. I'm a night person. Now, it's a different subject and topic, but listen, I don't like getting up in the mornings and there's days that I wake up like, oh, man, I just want 20 more minutes. I'll do my devotion. I'll, I'll, I'll do my walk with God later. But you know what I found? is it's those moments when I say, God, I don't really want to do that. I want to get up now. It's at those moments that you find the Lord, and it's not like, oh, energy. <laughs> it's just like the Lord says, I'll give you a little ounce of willpower to just roll out of bed and your feet hit the ground. You get that coffee brewing. Get that cup of coffee or that pot of coffee or the 64 ounces of coffee, whatever you drink in the morning. And you sit down with the Bible and you start reading. And then you go through your day and you go look back and you think, you know, man, today's been a pretty good day. It's not because of your willpower. It's because God helped you. God empowers you to witness. God empowers you. Make all those choices. We go through and we won't. 
but it's God that works. The Bible says this in Zechariah 4, 6. He answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Hey, it's not your might. It's not your power. It's God. Do you want to know the only thing that's going to help our church continue to make an impact for Jesus Christ in Moses Lake? It's not the pastor. I love our staff. I think we have an amazing staff. I, I, I'm humbled that our staff would serve with me, but it's not the staff. Listen, I love our music. I love, I love the music of our church, and I think the church should have the best music in town. I think the church should. But our music is not what's gonna be it. We have great kids' ministries. It's not the kids' ministries. We have great nursery workers. It's not that. Great greeters. We have some of the best cooks that make some of the best snacks in the world in our church. I'm saying that so maybe you'll give me some chocolate peanut butter cookies or something. <laughs> Listen, we have, we, have, we have God's doing some things here, but here's the truth. It's not you or me. It's God. Why? He's an empowering God. So just know the faith steps that God's going to ask, he's not going to ask you to make a huge step that he's not going to help you with. Paul said it this way. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Let me just tell you today that we truly serve a marvelous God. We serve a marvelous God who desires to accomplish great things through his people. Here's a simple question I just wanna ask you. Are you willing to be used? Now we look at Gideon, he's the judge of God and God used him in a great way, but I wanna take the microscope, let's look past Gideon. What do you see? We see the God of the judges. He's an eager God. He's ready and waiting for you just to cry out to him. He's an embracing God. He's ready and willing for you to be close to him. We serve an encouraging God. Man, he is ready and he wants to grow you in your relationship. And then we serve an empowering God. He doesn't say, okay, now you're on your own, Gideon 300. You guys got this. He says, now I'm gonna show up and show you what I can do. I just wanna ask you in your life this week, are you willing to be used by God? Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm not going to fight anymore. God, I'm going to get close to you. I'm going to make the decision. That small faith step you've been asking me to take, God, I'm going to take it. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.